Hello, hello. Welcome to How Did I Get There? I'm your host, John Penn. So today, uh, you know, really pleasure to talk with Jesse Gustafson. I think the thing that really kind of set him apart in my mind was that Day 39 short film that he made, and it's about an incredible experience. It's funny that it's called Day 39. Like, we talked about that. It seems like just an average, another day in paradise, right? Like serving in the military. But what it ends up being is this cathartic event that takes a young soldier under the wing, um, you know, temporarily with a doctor that's about to go through an experience with a family. Um, And it's kind of, it pins the tail on its head. Is that the right expression in terms of taking a, a concept like, good and evil, right? Or, uh, you know, who's the villain in what situation? And it kind of flips that and you kind of see the, through an empathetic lens, you see a family that, uh, you see a target or you see a group of people that you saw originally as a target with an empathetic lens that forces you to evaluate your own prejudices and your own way of thinking. That's not easy to do especially when you have a mission and when you're tasked with performing objectives that are designed to hopefully protect, keep peace, uh, I think at their most, you know, potentially idealistic, but also practical purposes. So that's a great short film. I love films about the military. I love thinking about veterans. Uh, My research, for those of you that probably don't know, is kind of focused on that population in psychiatry and I just think it's a really important uh, marginalized and underlooked population that deserves its due. A lot of what we know about PTSD that relates to patients that have been in other traumatic situations stems from the work that people have done, psychiatrists have done with veterans and so I'm really, uh, it's kind of a thrill to be involved in that. So day 39, I mean I feel like he took his experience, Jesse did, and he was able to kind of condense that into um, you know, a, a short film format. And that, I really enjoyed watching that. I was a finalist for the Student Academy Award that year. So um, that kind of got him some heat. And then he kept he kept working, man. But he did. What's interesting about him is that he's never really been confined to a single medium or genre. Um, you know, when he was 17, he enlisted in the army and he was kind of, he was tasked with doing peacekeeping in uh, Bosnia. And, you know, we all know about the sort of like Bosnian genocide, not sort of, the actual Bosnian genocide that happened in the early 90s. And so kind of after that, um, like how do we, how do you maintain a region or a country that's essentially been decimated? And that was his objective and his team. Uh, And he was really good at it, but he decided to kind of go towards greener pastures. Um, I mean, I guess you would call it that, right? He got a, a degree in acting and directing. Um, and he ultimately moved to a lot of interesting places like Thailand, which we talked about. I'm like, what's it like for an American veteran who grew up in Florida and has all these unique experiences to go to Thailand? Um, and he did theater there. He did a lot there, right? Uh, then he came ultimately, you know, San Francisco, New York, uh, did MFA from Columbia, and that's where he kind of got the tools. Um, and I guess the the mind-blowing insights that you get from a place like Columbia uh, to make Day 39. On the flip side of that, like some experiences are good and some force you to think in a different way about 
potentially what you're doing. And I think Black Side Delta is something that you would describe as the latter, right? I mean, that's also about, there's some gems in that about trauma, particularly when you see kind of the villain, this warlord opening up about, you know, what has led him, like what are the factors that have occurred in his life and in terms of his family and all that experience that led him to do such evil things. Um, it has other themes like necrophilia, and there's a lot of cool choreography. Um, one question that I should have asked and that I didn't is about that. Like, what makes a good, uh, what makes a good fight sequence? What makes a good, like, action sequence? Because you don't want it to be over choreographed. I mean, then it feels kind of sterile. But you also want to make it something that looks like it's grounded in reality. I like seeing those, those tropes about like, I mean, that movie is such a bro movie. Uh, and that what that's what makes it, I guess, what the intent was, was to make it accessible to a certain demographic. But it is a little campy in my opinion, but that's fine. I mean, look, there's a place for that. I don't think I could sleep because I saw that, but it might have been because so, of something else. I don't know. No, I'm not saying that. Uh, he's worked on a lot of other films, though. I mean, you think like this is this happens all the time where you do something and it get, gains a certain level of momentum and heat. Uh, and then like people want you to repeat that, right? I mean, you see that a lot with actors, but also with writers and directors, but he's done really cool short films. Like he's worked on the starlight. I mean, that's his film, which is great. Uh, riches, which is great. Like that's about, those are really pictures about interpersonal relationships between couples, between women and interweaved into career goals and what your expectations were for life for your own life, right? There's another great one that he worked on, uh, Doubleheader. I love that movie. And that's a short that featured the late, great David Margulies and also Stephen Hall. I mean, these are like both great actors. I, I, I love watching them. And that's also about empathy. You know, I mean, that's a big part of it. So I guess that's on some level what you would, you know, bottle down or trivialize you could or a conversation about, which is about empathy and trauma. And the relationship between the two. But I really enjoyed this. Uh, and and it makes for a really fitting Memorial Day weekend conversation, which is happening right now. So, so enjoy this, guys. And to any veterans or families with veterans or any active duty military personnel that are listening to this, uh, just know that we're thinking of you and uh, get home safe. How's that? How do you like LA? Uh, it's nice. Um, I've never slept better. I've never been healthier. Ooh. I've never eaten better. Okay. I've never been, you know, more stress-free. Well, that's not true. But <laughs> yeah. uh, compared to New York, I mean, it's uh, a lot more space, a lot quieter, a lot more nature. Yeah. No, that's what I hear. You talked about uh, sleeping better. I got no sleep last night and I was trying to figure out why, but I think it might like, cause I, I know I saw your, um, your film black side Delta last night and I was wondering oh, if that okay. was the cause, but I don't know. It's sometimes <laughs> I try to, I just had some weird, uh, dreams, but I was, um, cause I remember like, there's that scene where that dude, uh, I guess who gets shot. He's like, um, pulling. I mean, they all get shot. <laughs> no, but the guy that gets shot by like almost like friendly fire situation, right? By like his own, uh, by his supposedly like someone that's in the situation with him. But, um, he's the guy that's like pulling out someone's eye, I think. 
pulling out someone's eyeball. Oh, oh uh, yeah, yeah that guy. he's um, the lead in Day 39 also. That Charles guy. Name. Yeah, yeah, so I was I was anticipating maybe I would see like him in my dreams, but no, it was just, um, I just, I don't know, I couldn't sleep. But I did see that uh, quite late last night. How was that, uh, how was that experience, man? Like working on, uh, on that with like Cam and, and everybody on that. Uh, it was interesting. So that, that came about, I, I just moved to town. Um, I, I got an agent and everything in New York and mm-hmm. they said, well, if you're going to do this, you have to be in LA. Like, there's, there's no way around it. What, why so is I came that? out. I mean, this is just where the industry is. I mean, oh, there's yeah. five production. Co- I mean, after the pandemic, most of the production companies in New York closed, oh, so there's wow. only a handful left, but there's like hundreds of thousands yeah. out here. I mean, it's, they're everywhere. Um, and you know, in the beginning part of your career, you got to be on the ground hustling. You used to have to do it in person. I, you know, everyone's still trying to figure out how it works now. Yeah. Um, but I had just gotten into town, um, day 39, um, you know, had a little heat on it. So I got a little bit of attention and my agents at the time said, look, these guys have a film there. I don't know if the director dropped out. I don't remember Mm -hmm. how it came about, but they said they need a director like right now, Mm -hmm. like you're going to start tomorrow. Oh, wow. Are you interested? And I, and I read the script, uh, and the script, I mean, you've, you've seen the movie is yeah. not very, not very good. <laughs> uh, yeah. but you know, and I, I asked them at the time, is this going to hurt my career if I do this? And they said, no, um, that, that wasn't the best advice, but yeah. Uh, when you uh, read it, and, when you say it wasn't that good, did you, did you see kind of as like campy kind of thing, like that sensibility or what do you think? Why well, wasn't so it good? Ori- the original I mean, I I had two days to rewrite that script and I did Mm -hmm. basically a page one rewrite. Uh, I kept the, the producers had certain things they wanted to keep it, you know, they had certain things that they were after. Yeah. Uh, So I I had to keep those elements in Uh, two days is not enough time to write a full screenplay. Yeah. Um, And then, uh, and even then like the, the restraints of it were, were, Difficult. You kind of had to mm. embrace like this is a low budget sort of '90s oh, okay. style cheesy action movie. Like you got you got to lean into that. There's no getting yeah. around it. You can't yeah. you can't make it Schindler's List. Like that's not happening. Oh yeah, so, yeah. Uh, so I tried to lean into that, and I yeah. tried to just uh, you know we had a very tiny budget, a very very small budget. Mm-hmm. Um, we shot in Mississippi, which oh wow doesn't have the strongest crew base or actor mm-hmm. base. Uh, right. so there's a, yeah. there were some issues there. So it was like, uh, it was like a real, uh, baptism by fire sort of Did, thing. Were you trepidatious about taking the gig? I was trepidatious only in that I, I, you know, you start, you put your name on stuff yeah. and you know, you, you are what your name is on. Right. Uh, I also feel like if you're gonna, you know, I have a, philosophy in this business if you're talking people are listening so what are you saying right uh and the thing that i didn't like about that movie there's a couple things it all happened so fast i didn't have a lot of time to kind of think and process it yeah uh the answer to everything in that movie is violence i didn't like that yeah uh and i tried to i tried to sneak in little bits of each character where like Mm -hmm. violence was actually a negative in their life like the reason they were having these problems is because of violence and Violence isn't exactly the solution. Um, I thought there was a little bit of kind of racism in there. Mm -hmm. Um, The original draft, the the main terrorist bad guy was like legitimately wearing a turban and beard and all that. And I was just like, guys, no, 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 no. Yeah. 
and, and so, and the actor who played the the main bad guy, Arash, is a good friend mm-hmm. of mine, incredible actor out of New York. Yeah. And I, I wish I wasn't so jammed on time because I feel like I put him in a compromising position that I, if I had a minute to think about it, I wouldn't have. Is that the um, the guy that plays the warlord guy? Yeah. And yeah, I, I don't yeah. know if you remember, there's a scene where he's in a car and it's a, yeah. it's like a long monologue, like push in where he's with his girlfriend and yeah, he's explaining exactly. like why how he's he got, got into there. this. Yeah. 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 And so that was something I wrote like the night before, because I was just yeah. like, we had, there's got to be something here. It can't just that, be like brown guy is bad and wants to blow that totally. Like that was a total tonal shift. I remember that. That was the thing that resonated because it was like, yeah, why is he doing that? Because at first you're like looking at the, these guys that kind of wake up in the spot and um, they're trying to get out. Obviously, like that's what humans want to do. They don't want to be confined in a cage. But then when you see why this guy is doing that and you hear about his family and like all that loss and yeah. um, he basically just lost this sense of humanity because he he realized that that's not really keeping him alive, right? Well, because he was treated inhumanely, you know, it's like yeah. that do unto others what has been done to you thing. Right. Um, so I thought it was important to at least like give him a backstory, give him some yeah. motivation that wasn't just, you know, whatever. And this is, we shot that in 2016. This is like mm-hmm. right before the Trump election. Like there was a oh, lot yeah. of, there's yeah. a lot of that kind of stuff in the air. And I, 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 I kind of regret that. I didn't make more changes there. It, it just, like I said, it was like, I, I interviewed with these guys on a Thursday. I was hired on Friday, Monday, wow. I was on a plane. So wow. I just did not have time to really Process absorb it. all of it. And there were yeah. so many production issues that I had to handle. Like, like I said, we had a Mississippi crew. They're not New York or LA crews. There, there was a lot of issues. Yeah. And it's like, by the time we're on set and they're saying the words, it's, it's like, Oh man, I have to, like this is important what they're saying like this is gonna an audience is gonna read messages from this and Mm -hmm. are they receiving the messages i want to be saying Uh, and i i i you know i regret some stuff there but if anything it made me extra aware of that and i won't make that mistake again wait so mississippi so where did you grow up i grew up in outside of tampa florida um, oh wow! I don't know if you're familiar with that Clearwater, Florida, Saint. Yeah, Peter, yeah, yeah. Are there beaches around there, like Clearwater? Yeah, it's a big area. beach. Clearwater yeah. Beach is like a big, famous tourist beach. It's a big, yeah. very big tourist area. Yeah, I've been to uh, Miami. My family in Tallahassee, but I haven't been in Tampa. I mean, what was that like? Did you uh, like? Did you have? Do you have siblings and stuff too? I have one brother. Yeah, I have a brother. Mm-hmm. He's ten years younger than me. He actually he lives oh, in wow. um, Knoxville, Tennessee. Okay. What did your uh, What did your family do, like for work and stuff? Uh, my dad was a construction worker. Uh-huh. Um, my mother was a social worker at a oh, wow. hospital. Wow. So, like, very into like service, service for others. That's like really right. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I guess I never like thought about it like that, but yeah, there was a lot of um, yeah. That was that. Was, I guess that was her thing. Um, yeah. and then, you know, my dad. Uh, he he did pretty well in construction. You know, he started out swinging hammers and eventually yeah. worked his way up to the boss and everything. Um, and we and they, what we would do is we, as a family, we would buy like a dilapidated house, renovate it while we lived in oh, it, yeah. sell oh, it, wow. move to the next one, and you yeah. know we sort of did that throughout my childhood. Yeah, yeah, it's like kind of the flip thing, right? Yeah, that's a good. Yeah, it was like flipping before it was cool, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Was he kind of um, construction? I mean, you have to be kind of like, I guess, I guess similar to the military. I mean, I'm interested to hear your, your experience, but you have to be, do you feel like you have to exude 
a certain like toughness about yourself to kind of survive in that world? I mean, was he kind of, uh, were you guys pretty close or was he kind of tough? Uh, he was, he was pretty tough. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's interesting to bring this up and I'm, I don't know how much you want to get into this stuff, but, uh, I don't, I, I have a pretty rough childhood. I don't remember a lot of it. Mm. Uh, and now I have kids of my own and things and action, like I'm having thoughts and actions that I don't know where they're coming from. And I'm having to go, I'm having to explore like, wait, where is this? And, and I'm, what I'm realizing is there was things that happened that I don't remember. Right. Uh, and they help paint a fuller picture of who my father is. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I understand the full picture now, now that mm-hmm. I'm, I'm realizing more things. So he was a tough guy. I mean, yeah, this is the eighties in Florida. Like the, he, you know, I, I remember one day there's a thing called a cut nail. It's a, it's a like very hardened steel nail that you can hammer into concrete. Uh, but because they're so dense, they shatter very easily. And he, yeah. I remember he was on the job once, uh, and he shattered a nail and it went into his eye Oh my god! and he put duct tape over his eye, finished his shift and then went to the hospital. Wow. So it's like, it's a lot of that kind of stuff, yeah. that, you know, yeah. I had grown up. Right. Did you like, uh, growing up in Florida? I mean, beaches is nice, right? Uh, yeah, I, uh, I'll say this. I left the minute I graduated high school, I joined the yeah. army and never went back to Florida. So I'll, I'll say that about Okay, Florida. so not not a great experience. <laughs> Do you feel like kind of your uh, that's the South, right? I mean, I don't know. It's I guess it, now. So there's based, South and there's like yeah. deep South. You know, okay, like right. like yeah, it's the South, but like Mississippi, Alabama, yeah. Louisiana, right. like that's the deep. That's a different. Like they didn't have slavery, in, or if they did, not in Tampa. You know, like okay. there's a has a different history than some of the other Southern states. Yeah, but you're still kind of like far away from like LA, New York. I guess not New York that much, but do you feel did you feel kind of like secluded from like America? I mean, that's like that's on one extreme <laughs> of the country, right? Uh I I don't think I knew that yet. I mean, yeah. this was before the internet, before you know, so it's you're very limited in like what you know about the world. Yeah. I did have a sense. So there are a lot of New Yorkers there. A lot of New Yorkers go there to retire. So, and like the oh, Yankees yeah. have their spring training, like mm. it was like 10 minutes away. Like yeah. there's a very heavy New York influence there. Um, I, the only thing I, I understood about Florida was there had to be more to the world than this. Like, oh yeah. There, there had to be more to it than this. Yeah. It's not a very, it's not a place that people with dreams go. Okay. You know, it's not, it's not that, it's like people go there to retire or yeah. people go there because the real estate is incredibly cheap. Oh yeah. That's right. Uh, or you want, I think, it, I think nowadays it might be really expensive, but back then it was, you could buy a house for $50,000, you know, oh, it was, yeah. It, yeah, it was just incredibly cheap. So it's, it attracted more of that crowd. Whereas like LA, New York, uh, Silicon Valley tends to attract yeah. people with a dream who are trying to do something. And, and, that's, I think that was more my energy, mm-hmm. more my vibe, I guess. And uh, so that's why I don't think Florida was a great match for me. I guess there's like a, also like a Latin migration thing too. So, I mean, I'm, was the food pretty good or no? Um, you know, we didn't go out to eat a lot. It's, yeah. it's funny. Uh, Tampa, so where I grew up, uh, the first Outback opened, Outback Steakhouse. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I'd consider that like fine cuisine. And the first Hooters <laughs> opened. Okay. So, uh, those are, that's like the kind of like cuisine yeah. I had access to, you know, it wasn't, uh, there, I think now it's changed quite a bit. I, I haven't been oh, back yeah, in sure. 20 years, yeah. but I think now it's like, there's some real high end, uh, yeah. stuff there, but I, I don't know. Yeah, no, I grew up in, uh, 
I mean, I don't know where I grew up, but where I went to high school in uh, Salt Lake City in Utah. So okay. I, I, yeah, I yeah. could relate to that feeling of like, there's got to be something more than this, man. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It was like totally like culturally <laughs> homogenous and like, you just want more. But yeah. when you're growing up, like, when does the interest that were you always interested in like film and stuff or did that kind of come later? I was very into film. I I yeah. liked it. It was like, it was a very moving medium. I, yeah. I really enjoyed going to the movies. Uh, it, it didn't seem like the kind of thing I could ever do. Like there are no mm -hmm. directors from Florida. I mean, I mean, I'm sure there are, but there, yeah. there, there at the time there just wasn't right. anyone that I could, it's not the kind of thing people do. So mm -hmm. it didn't seem even possible and again this pre-internet so it's not like you could yeah. google how do you become a director yeah. it just sure. it felt far away and impossible so i i never pursued it at that time i did mm -hmm. i had like a natural inclination towards visual arts like i had a, a visual art yeah, i could draw paint i could sculpt oh, i wow. could uh, i could you know i i i did i won a, some you know art contests for kids mm -hmm. and stuff like that like i i had I definitely had talent, but it just, there aren't, I, there weren't artists around. It's not the kind of yeah. thing that anyone promote. It, it, if you never see someone do that for a living, you don't think right. it's possible to do it. So it wasn't anything I aspired to. I mean, I knew I was creative. I knew, I, I knew that there was something there, but I didn't know what to do with it yet. But not thinking that you could necessarily like do it yet, like take that step. But before that, I mean, were there like films, directors, filmmakers that you kind of like, uh, I guess just liked their work uh, and, and like that inspired you and stuff? I mean, I remember, I think the first movie I remember that, like the seminal movie that like changed yeah. everything yeah. Um, was uh, in 1986, I think it was nine, was seeing Top Gun in the theater. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was like, and that, and that was mostly just because I'd never seen jets. I mean, it was like, wait, yeah. human beings fly? This is a job? Like people can yeah. do this? They can go have yeah. these adventures in the air? It, it what it did is it it took uh, it took my little world and just made it go a little oh, bit yeah. bigger and and yeah. that was really exciting like that was a really really exciting thing to me yeah um, and I you know like I remember seeing Pulp Fiction in the theater oh, I would yeah. go back I saw it like five times in the theater you know I just kept going back so yeah um, there was stuff like that um, man Top Gun's the I mean that's still around man like it's still yeah. killing it right but I remember. Uh, I remember like reading like a long time ago that uh, Tony Scott, the way he got that was like Bruckheimer saw him do, Jerry Bruckheimer saw, saw him do like a soft commercial and it had all these like jets and similar sensibilities. And they were like, yeah, you should direct this movie, Top Gun. But I love that guy. Uh, I love all his like- Tony Scott? Yeah. Oh, he's, he's, the, he's amazing. I love yeah, Tony Scott. Like True Romance and then all those uh, like Denzel thrillers like Pelham 123 and Deja Vu. Crimson Tide. If you haven't seen Crimson oh, yeah. Tide lately, that yeah, is- yeah. A, Oh, bonkers. I like, yeah, it's one of those things like they, they, they dared to do that and they did yeah. and it worked. It's like, wow, that's like, he, he's someone who can create uh, vibes, not the right word, but he can create yeah. an energy to a film oh, yeah. and it gives yeah. it a unique identity that, you know, if, if you're listening to music, you can yeah. give the same notes to Keith Richards. You can give the same notes to Tom Petty. You'll oh, get yeah. two different sounds, even though it's the yep. same sheet music. Yep. And he does a very, uh, specific thing that no one else can do and I, I love it yeah like man on man on uh fire too that's man like, on fire, yeah yeah that's yeah, the yeah. only one was that the music that you uh you grew up with like keith and uh like petty and heartbreakers and no i grew up uh <clears throat> so that part of florida at the time it wasn't 
like the the diversity consisted of white people and black people. Like there yeah. was no, there was nothing else. I mean, yeah. there's some Cubans, but there's like a Cuban section of Tampa they call Ybor that they kind of, oh, yeah. that's like the Cuban section. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't live near there. And uh, so I went to an all black high school mm. and uh, the really the, the music that I remember was hip hop. Like I was there oh, yeah. for the beginning of hip hop. Like that was the stuff. When I was in elementary school, we used to have to go to the YMCA after school, like a latchkey yeah. thing. Yeah, and that, yeah. all the kids my age would like steal their older brother's tapes. Yeah. And then you'd be in the, you'd trade like a GI Joe guy for an NWA tape or something, you know? And, and, and like, that's the kind of, I, I, one of the first albums I ever had was NWA and, oh, yeah. and public enemy and stuff like that. Like, that's what I grew up on. Uh, and that's, like that Rebel. was the music that sort of informed me. Yeah. Like rebel fire, like making a statement uh fight the power all that stuff right were those kind yeah, of and I did think, that resonate i think that yeah i think what resonated for me was this sense of otherness like there was mm. a sense of like not belonging oh yeah and a frustration and anger at that and i think i uh, i was a pretty angry kid I, I had some rough circumstances at home and yeah i think uh i think that alienation and anger it was the first time i heard music and thought to myself oh this person gets it like oh, they, yeah. they understand what I'm going through. Like this sounds very, this is my life too. I mean, yeah. there are, there are major differences obviously, yeah. but like yeah. the sort of emotional yeah. uh, energy of it. I, yeah. I, yeah I, I said, Oh, this is the first time I've heard music that sounds like where I am as a person right now. So you're listening to like public enemy NWA, you're watching Pulp Fiction a lot. Uh, so then when does like, do you have a plan in place in terms of like high school, like that you wanted to like follow or that you wanted to do, or did that not come like until after you had more experiences outside of high school? Uh, it all came after I, yeah. I, you know, I think I wanted to, uh, my, I have a, my grandfather, um, was a career air force guy. Oh, wow. Uh, he was a mechanic in the air force and there's an mm -hmm. air force base in Tampa. Mm -hmm. And so he would, uh, he's what, there's a certain type of retired military guy that just hangs out on the base yeah. and just and hangs out. They have a, a store called a PX. It's like a big, mm -hmm. uh, uh, like a Walmart, except you don't oh, pay yeah. tax there. So it's super mm -hmm. cheap. Yeah. Uh, so they just, these old guys just kind of hang out there. And my grandfather like was one shit, of those guys. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's the world they know. And so it's yeah. familiar. And so he would take me a lot. So I kind of grew up around that. And I always thought airplanes were super cool. So my, my plan was, I, I really wanted to be a pilot like that yeah. i thought that would be the coolest thing in the world um but it seemed i didn't really have a lot of um i just didn't have a lot of life skills like i i mm. I, I wasn't taught a lot of life skills i, I was yeah. starting out in a kind of bad place and i right. and the whole idea of it seemed larger than something i could do i didn't have the confidence i don't know if i had the maturity to do something like that yet so it, it just seemed impossible. It, it's another one of those things. Like I never met a pilot. It's one of those things like that other gun, people right? do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when I, uh, when I graduated high school, I enlisted, I actually did, there was a thing called early entry or, or delayed mm -hmm. entry yeah. where you could enlist while you were still a student. Right. And that time would count. Part of the way you get promoted is you have to be in for certain amounts of time, but that right. time you were enlisted and still in high school would count towards your promotions. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, you know, I, it, my childhood was kind of a mess. I, I, I was gotten a lot of trouble. I was yeah. in shootouts and stuff. I was in wow. fights. It, it was, I got arrested a bunch. Like it, it was not a, 
a lot of alcohol and drug abuse. Like it was yeah. a, it was a rough, a rough go. Yeah. Uh, and I had that sense of there has to be more to the world than this, but I don't, I have no idea how to access it. Yeah. And uh, honestly, the only, the only person who handed me a business card and offered to help in any way was the, the army. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and I, and that's my bit. I said, okay, if you'll get me out of here, I'll, I'll go. So and, you, I mean, uh, it's not, there was a sense of advent, you know, like they yeah. promised adventure and stuff. And I was like, okay, great. I'll, I'll, I'm in, I want adventure. I want to go see stuff. I want to go see the, it's that thing of like, there has to be more than this. Yeah. And if you're willing to, if you're willing to pay me to jump out of a plane with a parachute on, great. You know, <laughs> when you did that, I mean, did you feel like your, was your family supportive of that decision or I don't know? Um, or did you not really think about that? It wasn't really a factor for me. I mm-hmm. don't think it, my, my mother's a complicated woman and she, mm-hmm. she didn't really talk to me about it. The only thing yeah. she did was, give me a copy of a, uh, this book called Johnny got his gun. Huh. I don't know if, okay. I don't know if you, there's a Metallica song called one. that's oh, about yeah. that book. And it's, uh, oh, yeah. it's a, I think it's civil war or world war one. Oh. I don't, I don't remember. Yeah. Uh, but the guy gets like his face and his arms and his legs blown off and, and he's just, all he can do is think. Oh, and wow. eventually he learns to like nod his head and do Morse code and communicate that way. But oh, that's the only, the, her only thing was give me that book. Uh, and my dad was in Vietnam, so he, he had a little bit of like, and, yeah. uh, there's several members of my family were in the military. So there's a little bit of a, like, you know, welcome to the club kind of thing from him. Um, but there was no real discussion. I, I, I called the recruiter out of the blue and just said, I want to be a soldier like that. And, he, and that, that's music to his ears. So, uh, we were off and running. I mean, it was like, I, I made that call, I think that night, cause I was a minor mm-hmm. still, they had to, my parents had to sign something Right. that night. The recruiters came to my house, my parents signed whatever they had to sign. And yeah. I was, I was off and running. Did the book, uh, did the book help? Did it give you anything? I mean, did you read it? I did. Yeah. Uh, I think I read part of it. I don't think I, I it, it was like, I mean, I literally like two weeks later, I was out the door, mm-hmm. so I didn't have a lot of time. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if it helped me or not. I, I think I just had a lot of other things on my mind yeah. and I, I wasn't really interested in advice from my mother at that point. So I just yeah. sort of, you know, pushed it off to the side. So then you're in this new experience. So, I mean, you have to go through like basic and you're with mm-hmm. all these uh, guys that you've never met that you, I guess you have to, do you feel like you have to have like a chemistry with the guys that you're with like even if it's some somewhat forced because i mean you're going to be with each other a lot you're going to be taking care of each other at times like do you feel like that's an important component of that service yes uh i mean not so much in basic because yeah. you're you're going to be with those people for 16 weeks and then right. chances are yeah everyone goes to their units and you you might you might never see them again when yeah. you get to your unit there's definitely there's definitely that the army has a thing they call battle buddies, which mm-hmm. is uh, like you, if you're lower enlisted, if you're like a junior guy or junior woman, you get assigned a, a, a buddy. So uh, my, buddy, I was a, I was in a, the unit I was in, we, we moved, we operated in Humvee teams. So it's three Humvees, three soldiers in each Humvee, and then a squad leader who's yeah. also in a vehicle. So I was a gunner on the Humvee. So I was the guy wow. on the roof with the big machine gun. And oh, yeah. the uh, driver was my battle buddy. So we worked together all the time. We lived together. Like we became sort of best friends. Yeah. And the idea behind it is if um, 
like you should know where this person is 24 hours a day. You like, mm-hmm. you have to have this person's back 24 hours a day. If anyone comes up to you and says, where's your battle buddy? You should have an answer. Yeah. Um, and with that, and it helped that we were close in age and we, you know, we got along great. Like he was a good friend of mine, but that's where you, like when we deployed, um, you and I, 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 so I enlisted in 1995 and I deployed mm-hmm. on a peacekeeping mission to Bosnia. I was not involved right. in the war on terror. Um, but you know, you're going into, I was, I think it was 18 when we went, I, you don't know what you're getting into that. You do a bunch of, you do some training, um, at, a, uh, in Fort Polk, Louisiana, it's like war games kind of stuff to get you ready yeah. for it. And during that time, you know, it starts to get real. Like you have a date, you're going to get on a plane and you're going to go and, you know, uh, yeah. and that's when you really, that's when your relationships with your, with the people around you changes. And that's, or at least for me. And that's when I had to talk with, you know, you have a talk with your battle buddy. Like, look, if this goes down, uh, I will make sure you get out of it. Yeah. If you make sure I get out of it. And we, you know, we had plans like, all right, first thing, we're going to make sure we survive. And then we're going to make sure these people survive. And then we're going to make sure these people survive. If, if it ever, you know, goes to that, it never did. Um, but the, you know, when that's, you get into that thing of like, you're starting to place your life in someone else's hands. Like you, mm-hmm. you develop tight relationships very quickly. Oh yeah. Well, I remember like, uh, I mean, just watching full metal jacket. I mean, uh, at the, I guess at the beginning, like there's like that battle buddy relationship between Joker and then, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio's character, right? Like, cause the, he has to kind of watch mm-hmm. his back and stuff, but I guess taking that to the next level when you're actually like serving and you're enlisted is like a whole nother ball of wax. Cause you are like, you're, I guess, working together to, you know, survive on some level. Right. And then, and achieve your objective. So do you feel like you got what you wanted to out of that, out of that experience? I mean, did you feel like you have a, had a greater sense of purpose and understanding about, about what you wanted to do from like being in the military? Yeah, I think, um, the military can be a lot of things for a lot of different yeah. people. Like it depends what you put into it. Um, I like it or love it. It, you can't deny the fact that they took over an entire country with half a million teenagers. Like you got to respect, like, that's a lot of organization. There's a lot of yeah. thought that goes into something like that. It's, sure. It's only like ten percent of the military is the bang bang shoot 'em up kind. The night, uh, the all, the whole rest of the military is the other ninety percent, mm-hmm. and they are they have done a lot of. I mean, a lot of thinking, a lot of organization. It is a very well thought out. I mean, oh, some yeah. of the the leadership schools that I went to were. If I if I could start a film school tomorrow, I would make every director go through army leadership school. Like yeah. that is that is some of the. I, I don't know where else you go to learn leadership like that. You know. Yeah. And you're put in positions all the time. They've never been put in that you have to like basic training. Uh, Every week or so, they'll just assign someone to be in charge of of your platoon. And you you don't outrank anybody. They they don't have to listen to you. And they're they're a bunch of strangers, teenagers from all over the country. uh, And you have to somehow get them all, get them all on the same page. I think, I I think the army definition of leadership is, um, getting people to want to do something they didn't know they wanted to do. Oh, I yeah. mean, that's bastardizing that, but th- there's something about like, you have to inspire people. You have to be able to stand in front of them and make them want to do it. If you're leaning on your rank, you're leaning on your position to make them do it. They're going to resent you. They're not going right. to come at it with the same attitude. So it, I think it really helped me uh, learn how to move a, move a group of people forward. Like I get asked a lot, how do you go from the army to being in film? 
And uh, especially when I started in theater. So how do you go from the army to being in theater? And I tell people like creation and destruction are very similar energies. It's, it's mm. chaos and it's sort of honing that chaos to do what you want, yeah. uh, to tell the story you want. And that's exciting. I mean, that's a, I love that part of it. That's, that's, that's very hard for some people to, to sort of own that chaos, but I, I find that so exciting. I mean, that's where the real energy is for me. Oh yeah. That's when like the real creation happens, right? Did you, did you think yeah. about, or were you encouraged or to people to try to convince you to like stay longer in the military? Like, is that something that you considered like being quote unquote right lifer? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I did pretty well in the military. I, I got promoted to, um, I, I, my, my, the highest rank I got was Sergeant. And that's at that point, you're now in charge of people. Right. And I, I got that. And there's a time period, you know, you have to be in for so long and do so many things. So mm -hmm. I got it as fast as you can get it. Yeah. Uh, and I was only 20 because I enlisted when I was oh, 17. Wow. So I was only 20 when I was Sergeant. Wow. Um, so I, I stood out. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to brag, but like I, yeah, I stood I out. Yeah. Uh, and I, I uh, got the attention. You have to have, that where you do physical tests like running and push-ups and sit-ups and they score you. So you have to have, yeah. based on your score, we'll determine what you're eligible for. And you have to take a test called an ASVAB. I took that like, test. Did you, so it's, yeah, so you're familiar. It's like an, it's like an intelligence test, like an aptitude test. And I killed uh, that test, test, man. I did well on that. So did yeah. I. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, interestingly in the army, each branch has different, right. Uh, based on your score, it will tell you what job you're eligible for. And each branch has something different. Uh, you know, like in the Navy, if you want to work on the nuclear reactors, you have to have a really high score. Well, oh, yeah. in the Army, if you want to be a Green Beret, that's the highest score. Mm. And I had the physical scores and I had the ASVAB scores uh, that would qualify me. And I uh, I met with, I don't know, like a spokes. They, they had people that would come around and say like, hey, you're, they look at your paperwork. Your scores are good. Like maybe oh, yeah. you should think about trying out for this. And I thought about it. I mean, it looked like a cool job. Uh, it, there, there was no wars at the time. And, and this is after Desert Storm. So the, yeah. everyone was saying, we'll never go to war again. Like everyone. Mm. It, so there, that wasn't on the table. Right. So then it became like, all right, well, these guys will let you jump out of planes. You can travel the world. Yeah. Uh, Green Berets have a very, um, they're called a fo force multiplier. So you'll go into like a, an area and raise, you'll live with the people You'll help them, uh, train them to defend themselves. And okay. so it's like, you get a lot of like cultural interaction. You have to learn oh, yeah. a foreign language. Like it's a pretty wow. cool job. Um, but it's a, it's a, another six year commitment. Um, or I think the rules have all changed now. So mm -hmm. I thought about doing that, uh, cause I, I was getting a little frustrated with the speed and the uh, oh, yeah. efficiency of a, of a regular line unit. So I wanted that. I, I was sort of craving that extra stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and when I got out and I went to college, I actually did uh, ROTC yeah. for two years. I thought I, I, cause I wasn't sure what I was going to do with my life at this point. Uh, so I, I thought I was going to go back in as an officer and pursue like special forces or whatever, whatever that would be yeah. as an officer. Um, and um, I guess, luckily, uh, yeah. I found theater before that happened. And then I decided to do that instead. You found theater. So that was in uh, Florida. You found it. Like, what was the, was there a specific production or how did that happen? Yeah. I, uh, so during, I'd say one of the, 
one of the more um, defining experiences of my life was was deploying to Bosnia, right? So that I don't know if you're familiar, there was a genocide there. Yeah, um, like '93. It, yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. eerily reminiscent to kind of Ukraine right now. Mm, like right. The, the pictures you see from Ukraine is what Bosnia looked like at the time, uh, and uh that i was 18 when we went there so wow. i lived in a war zone. it wasn't a war zone at that point but it you know it had been uh we we were the second unit to go in mm-hmm. so things were still pretty raw there was still yeah. little skirmishes there was still you know the the last little remnants of the war fighters were you know right still still testing and doing stuff um but seeing seeing that that level of destruction i mean it's kind of hard to to describe yeah. like it, it, they would they literally would like imagine every building in brooklyn has been blown up yeah. like that's what it looked i mean it's just it's yeah. unbelievable the, the levels of destruction yeah, um and honestly it, it, you know that stuff's scary when you first get there but very quickly you you it be, kind of becomes normal and you fall into routine with it right towards the end the refugees started coming back uh, and there was a couple million, I, I believe, refugees who had left the country, and they started wow. coming back and sort of rebuilding their lives. And I got to watch a lot of that up close. Mm-hmm. And that because we we did we went out and did patrols every day. So I mean, you're yeah. working there, when you're deployed like that. There's no days off. It's seven days right. a week. You're going outside the wire and you're you're doing your patrols. Yeah. Um, and that was really moving, mm-hmm. and that was something that. I guess growing up in the nineties as a kid in America, you're sort of taught, like, it's just all about money. Like, go get that job, oh, yeah. go get that money, get that yeah. six figures, get that thing. Right. And what I saw with these people coming back was like, none of that matters. Yeah. None of it matters. Not, nobody here cares how much money you have. Nobody cares yeah. what kind of car you have. That like when the chips are down, that's the last thing that matters. Right. Um, and so that, that really struck me. And I thought, okay, I got to do something with my life. Like life is precious. It's short. Like we think that our lives are valuable, but I Mm -hmm. saw that they're not. I, I met a guy, uh, one of the, we would have to go to the Bosnian bases and and inspect their weapons and make sure they weren't moving weapons around or planning anything. There's a guy in charge of one of these places called the hammer. Mm -hmm. And he sort of looked like, kind of like Saddam Hussein. He had like a big mustache and, uh, he usually they wore these like purple camouflage things, but he would wear mm. his like dress uniform with all those medals and everything. It's kind of like okay. funny hat. Mm-hmm. They called him the hammer because he, he realized if you killed people with a hammer, you could save money on bullets. Oh my God. And so this is so, and he's just walking around. Like he's not, he's not in jail. He's not a war criminal. He's just yeah. walking around doing his stuff. And that, um, so you just see, you just see yeah. that like, the world can be a lot of things like what we know in America, this little community is, is not the whole picture. And if yeah. it, again, it's that thing that Top Gun did right. where my, my little world went. Rrr. Yeah. And I just said, like, I don't want to be on my deathbed going, thank God I was a good middle manager, you know, mm-hmm. like that just doesn't, right. I don't know. It just didn't, but I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't, I didn't have a plan. Uh, so after I got out, I went, I enrolled in the university of Florida. Yeah. And, I thought I would study advertising because it's hmm. creative and it comes with a okay. paycheck. Yeah. I just, I didn't know what to do, you know? So I, yeah. I uh, went to my first advertising class, advertising 101. And right. the first thing the professor said was, 
People don't buy products. They buy solutions to problems. So our job is to create a problem and sell them a solution. Okay. And I got up and I walked out of class and I dropped out of college. I was like, I don't want anything to do with that. That's messed up. I, that is not the way, that is not the thing I want to be contributing to the world. There's enough forces in the world doing Creating bad problems, things. I don't yeah. want to be a part of it. Yeah. I just, I don't want to be a part of it. So now I'm dropped out of college. I need a job. I don't know what to do. And I saw a, uh, on the job listings, the theater department was hiring someone to teach scenic construction okay. and it paid $20 an hour. And that was a mm. lot of money to me at the time. Yep. And I, I said, my dad's a carpenter. So I grew up, right. I, I know how to do car, whether or not I want to know how I know how to do carpentry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I applied and I got the jobs and that's how I saw the first play I ever saw, wow. which was, um, a James Baldwin play called blues for Mr. Charlie. Mm. And it's, uh, based on the murder of Emmett Till. Oh yeah. And so yeah. this is like late nineties. Uh, you know, we're only a few years removed from the uh, LA riots, you know, like yeah. there's, it's a hot time. And this, this, and it's James Baldwin. I mean, it's, he's an incredible, um, you know, one of the best yeah. American writers out there. Uh, and I stood in the wings. I didn't even sit in the audience. I was in the wings watching yeah. this play with this audience. We had a packed house and it's an incredibly moving play. I mean, it's, it's hard. It's hard not to feel it, you know? Yeah. And the, they said the last lines, the curtain dropped, curtain goes up for bows. Uh, and the audience is like stunned silent for a minute. Mm-hmm. And all instantly, all at once, they all got up on their feet, standing ovation for, wow. I, I mean, they were just, they were so moved by it. Yeah. And I'm sitting in the wings watching this and I was like, I don't know what the hell this is, but I like it. Like that we're yeah. doing something here. You know, mm-hmm. like we're, I, everyone's motivated. Everyone's involved. Everyone's trying hard to do this. It worked. They received the information They're They're changed now because of it. Yeah. I don't know what this is, but I I think I'm doing it for the rest of my life. You know, it was like wow. this, I, I feel something, I felt something real here in a way that I didn't feel, I hadn't felt anything real in any other, yeah. uh, anything else I tried up until then. You didn't have to create a problem and then solve it. You were just focused on the latter part of that, right? Like, how do we? Or it's uh, just like you know. I think my yeah. job as a storyteller is to yeah. take everyone's little thing and go, all right. And right. so I, that's it. what yeah. we just did for that. That's what we just did for those two hundred people, whatever was in the audience. I don't remember. Yeah. Uh, but they they took it in and they felt it, and I was like, okay, this is a way we can. It's that thing of if you're talking, what are you saying? Are you making yeah. the world a better place or a worse place? Like, right. Uh, so I, I just said, uh, I guess I'm doing this. And, yeah. uh, I started, I studied scenic design at first cause that was closest to what yeah. I understood. Um, I did pretty well, you know, I did, I, you know, won some stuff and did, did, did well with that. And then as part of it, you, as part of the major, you have to take an acting class. Like everyone in the okay. theater department has to take an acting class. So yeah. I, uh, I, I walk in the first day of class, this actor, he's a working actor who has come in to teach. Yeah, he said, "As an actor, you are your only tool. You mm-hmm. you are what you're selling. So okay. you are as smart as you make yourself, as emotionally uh, accessible as you make yourself, and as physically able. Like wow. that's that's all you got because you got nothing else in this world but those things. Right. Uh, and that's that's what's going to make you up, and that's what you're going to sell. And I was like, Well, I'm in. I don't know what this <laughs> means. I'm in. I, I love it. I don't know what we're doing here, but I'm in. Yeah. So." Uh, after that class, I I uh, I decided I wanted to give this acting thing a try. Okay, and I knew that if if you're, but I also had the that realistic thing of like I have to make a living doing this, which sure. is almost impossible. So 
I don't think my launching pad is going to be the University of Florida. So mm-hmm. I needed to find somewhere else that that I could do this. So right. I, I did some research, and the University of California, Santa Barbara, has one of the best. Uh, they have an acting conservatory. You have oh, to audition yeah, okay. to get in. They cut people. It's very competitive. Yeah, but it's uh, but it's undergrad. Usually, that kind of thing is for graduate, graduate. schools. Yeah. Uh, so I transferred to UCSB. Uh, I, I was admitted to the school, but I was not admitted to the conservatory yet. I moved out to California. Yeah. Um, I signed up at a school that teaches underwater welding in the event oh, wow. I did not get into this. In the event I did not get into this conservatory, I was going to okay. do underwater welding. Fall back, yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, luckily, I got in. Uh, yeah. I mean, and I had no idea. I showed up with a tie on. I, oh, I, nice. I, you had to do a monologue. I did a John Leguizamo monologue with a Puerto Rican accent. I mean, I had like no From idea. Freaks or what, something else? No, he uh, he had a one man show called Spicarama. Oh yeah, uh, where yeah. he plays like multiple characters, and like mm-hmm. that's the kind of stuff I watch. So like yeah. that, I thought like, okay, this is what I'll do. I didn't know yeah. about Tennessee Williams. I didn't know about yeah. all this other stuff. Right. Like this is the I I know this world. I know this character. Sure. So that's what I did. Um, luckily they luckily they saw something and let me in, uh, and that's how I that's how I started on the on the path, I guess. Yeah. Um, Man, and Santa what, Barbara is beautiful, right? I it, it's like one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. It's when you're a kid going to school there, you don't realize it. But when, yeah. when I go back to visit now, I'm like I can't believe I lived here. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Do you feel like you uh, so like that sense of purpose, like the Top Gun moment? I mean, did you feel like you had that going through like UCSB, and did you feel like you have more uh, direction in terms of like this is something that I not only want to do, but this is something that I can do. Like, did that, did you feel that sensibility coming on? A little, a little bit and not okay. in the beginning. In the beginning I was, I was underwater. I didn't know yeah. what to do. And there's a lot of, um, you know, acting is a real craft. There's technique mm-hmm. to it. It's not, I tell people it's like 90% craft, 10% magic. Like there is yeah. a certain amount that, that Meryl Streep does. that I couldn't tell you how she's able to do it, but there <laughs> yeah. is, but you can break it down into its parts and it does, there is a technique, like there is a way. She's to pretty it. good at that Meryl Streep, right? That's what I hear. I think yeah. she's all right. Yeah. Um, so I would do that. I would do the technical stuff and I'd be good at it, but occasionally come up against something where uh, you had to have emotion. Oh yeah. And I didn't have any, I, I could do anger. I knew how to do that. Because uh, it, it, it was like blocked off, you think? Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I sort of realized like, I don't want to live my life as half a person. Mm. Like I don't want to experience half of life. Yeah. So I really went at sort of healing and I got very into like Qigong and, uh, oh, wow. uh what else was I doing? Oh, Chinese medicine, like acupuncture, stuff like yeah. that. Uh, psychedelics, like, like for purpose, not for watching cartoons, but like really, um, being more in focused. touch with your emotions and yeah. Yeah, like find them. Like I didn't know I had yeah. them. It was a it was a big it was a big process. It's that thing of like taking me as a human and going rah, rah, rah. Yeah. Um because yeah. it's it all comes back to that thing in Bosnia of like life is cheap, man. Like you, you could get I, I just don't want this to end and I missed it. You know, right. I, I I didn't I wasn't a full person through my life. Like that's not how I want to do it. Yeah, sure. Uh so I was focused on a lot of that. And I also had that thing in my mind of like, I have to do this for a living. So I better be very good at this. Like I oh, better yeah. really study. Uh, yeah. Cause I'm not, you know, uh, to, to really do it, you have to be very good looking. You have to have a six pack. You have to, and I was like, man, I, I don't, 
a lot of things you got to have, I don't have, so I better have. You can always, I, I mean, have, you can always like Ned Beatty it though, right? Or Harry Dean Stanton. I don't know if you can <laughs> anymore. I, I think those times might be behind us. I think uh, like the character actor thing. Yeah, may, uh, maybe, but again, come like, on, there's always going to be guy, man. Yeah, I know what you mean. Though. Yeah, like making a actor life is it's brutal. Yeah, it's brutal I, yeah. I tried it for a little while, and it, yeah. it it's I have a lot of respect for people that can do it. It's so it's so hard. Yeah. So then, what happens after uh, UCSB? Uh, so while I was there, so UCSB has an acting conservatory and a directing conservatory. Okay. And if you're in the acting one, you're allowed to take the first directing class. So I took uh-huh. it and the directing conservatory asked me to switch and become a director. Mm. Um, and I said, no, cause I'm stubborn. And they said, all right, we'll let you in anyway. So I actually did both. I have a degree in both. Oh, wow. Uh, and at, at the time I was the only person to do it. I, it's been 20 years. I'm sure other people have done it, but, um, so like I had sort of both skill sets. And yeah, and they have like project, you know, if you qualify, you get a prod honors project in the end. So I had all that stuff and like I had some experience with it. Uh and and so everyone graduates and half of them are gonna go to LA to try to be movie stars. And I yeah. knew that that was I mean, Not that's right. yeah, it didn't feel right. So yeah. uh d- during my time at UCSB over the summer, I went to Indonesia for uh oh, wow. for a month. I went to Bali. Uh, and it was my first time out of the country, not with the military. Yeah. And that, and as my first time in Asia and it was uh, unbelievable. I mean, it was mm-hmm. just the most incredible experience. I don't know if you've been to Bali. It's no. like one of the most beautiful places on earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, the culture is great. The, it's just, it, it was one of those things. It was like, when you're watching Top Gun, you go, people are in these machines and they do this stuff. It's like, this is a place that exists in the world and these people live here and everything's different and everything's colorful and everything's, it's just a totally different way to live life. And I left that experience feeling rejuvenated, inspired. Yeah. Yeah, It was, wow, this is incredible. So after I graduated, I didn't want to, I knew I didn't want to go to LA to try to be a movie star. I knew that wasn't going to work. Mm. And I had a friend who was getting a PhD in Taiwanese theater. And he wow. said, why don't you come to Taiwan? And so I said, all right, I'll go to Taiwan. So I went to Taiwan. Um, I was there for a couple, with the intention of living there. Like I was going to get a job, apartment, oh, wow. all that stuff. Um, and I, Taiwan didn't click for me. I, it's a cool place. I love Taiwan, but like, I was like, I don't know if I want to spend a year here. And it's that thing where you're like, okay what do i do now i I could get a plane ticket home but that feels like quitting and i'm not why didn't it it click you think um it's so this is again before the internet so Mm. you're all on paper maps and everything and so it's a kind of confusing city but and, and it's the each sort of district hired a different english speaker to write out how to say their names so oh wow uh i'm trying to like You'd be in, on a street in one neighborhood, and, it, and the street would be spelled XI, and then you'd go two more blocks over, and now it's spelled CHU, but it's the same street. And it's it, that that was like really confusing. Um, yeah. It's also like they work six days a week. It's a very like work culture, so it's not a lot uh-huh. of like. Uh, at least, I mean, this is twenty years ago, so yeah, I, I, yeah. I have no idea what it's like now. Uh, and and kind of like the only thing to do uh, it was like go to karaoke, and that was cool for a while. Uh, yeah. but the, the people in these karaoke bars are like professional drinkers. I mean, they, oh, yeah, I, they no. put a hurting on me and I was mm-hmm. like, I can't do this all the time. This is nuts. Yeah. So, and, and it's a very, it's like a very buttoned up sort of, it's not yeah. Western, but it's, it's Western adjacent. It feels familiar. It's not, okay. um, 
you know, so like Bali was like a whole nother universe. Yeah. So uh, I was like, what do I do? I had, I think I had 500 bucks in my bank account. Yeah. I mean, I worked, I had three jobs the whole time I was an undergrad. Like I've supported myself. I've been working since I was 13 and supported myself since I was 13. So yeah. uh, there, there was, if I didn't have money in my bank account, it wasn't coming from somewhere else. So I had right. to really manage my money. Sure. And I found a $400 ticket to Bangkok. And I was like, let's, let's roll the dice. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to Bangkok with a hundred bucks in my pocket and I ended up staying for six months. Uh, I got a job teaching English. Um, mm-hmm. I, I started doing, so if, again, this is 2002 rules. I have no yeah. idea what it's like now. Back then, if you were white and you were in Bangkok, you were a model. So you can oh, get modeling work like pretty easily. I mean, okay. I'm not a model, but that didn't stop people from hiring me as models. So I started doing yeah. modeling. Wow. Uh, and then from there, I got an agent and I started doing acting, uh, acting work. Uh, I direct, there's, a, there's a place called the British House. It's like a huh? club for British expats and they have a theater okay. in it. Uh, so I, did, I directed some stuff there. I acted some stuff there. I did some like commercials. Um, and... Uh, Bangkok's a wild city, you know, just did, uh, just, you know, experienced Bangkok, like just did everything I could there. Um, it's kind of, it's a hard place. There's like, if you're, if you are a foreigner there, you're kind of limited in what you can do. Like Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of jobs open to you. You're just sort of limited. And I felt that limitation and I said, all right, it's time to go. Yeah. So after that, I moved to San Francisco. Um, there's a theater in San Francisco called the magic theater. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's where Sam Shepard started. Oh, yeah. So, uh, oh. fool for love, true West, yeah. all that stuff premiered there. Ed yeah. Harris used to be an actor there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's in American theater history, it has like a pretty special place. Um, yeah. and they only do new, they only do new place premieres. They don't do, um, things that have already been published. Yeah. Right. So I, I really wanted to work there. So I moved to San Francisco and I got a job there um, and started, started out as like an intern, became the technical director, became the production manager. I wasn't directing. I was doing more producing and and handling that end of it. Um, But I got to, you know, see how, see how it works. And I got to work with uh, some cool people. I got to work with David Mamet. I worked on a David Mamet play with him. Like I got to, sit in rehearsal next to him every day and which play uh he did a, he rewrote faustus a play called and oh. it's called dr faustus um, oh yeah okay I, I i don't think it's like yeah. one of his more famous yeah. plays like american buffalo or glengarry yeah. yeah yeah it's not it's not one of those yeah. um but still it's cool and i have yeah, still you know i have i have his um uh a his printed out pages of the script, like with his handwritten notes oh, on them, yeah, you would leave them cool. everywhere. So I have, I have all of these pages with handwritten notes. I have actually, this is his, um, this is sits on my desk. This is coffee mug oh, that wow. I stole. <laughs> now it holds my pens. Yeah. So, uh, that was a very, very, very cool experience. Uh, got to learn a lot from that. And, uh, but the problem was, especially because of that mammoth show, I started to get known around town, mm-hmm. um, as a producer or someone who worked in production and it's kind of like once people see you as something, right, you're that yeah, part of right their mind. Yeah. Like, yeah. You can't switch out. So I started to get, there's a big theater up there called uh, ACT. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. They offered me a job as a, as one of their production managers. And I said, man, the second they know I, I'm a production manager, I'll never direct in this town again. 
Mm. So uh, I moved to New York. Uh, and then, yeah, tried. At, by this point, I was a full-time director. So I, you, I made the, you made the leap or I guess the shift between like acting and wanting to do it to directing. So how did that, like, was that hard? Like, was that a hard realization or did you feel like that was just where you were more at home? Honestly, it started, I would get cast in stuff. Yeah. And when you get cast in something, it's like a two month commitment. And when you're starting least, out, yeah. usually for free, like they don't mm. pay, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I would get in these shows, I come in I, and I work hard, you know, I'd, I'd be motivated. Like, let's yeah. go, let's, I'm trying to find that experience I found in Florida with the blues for Mr. Charlie. Like, that's what oh, I'm yeah. after. Like, that's what we're supposed to be doing. And you get there and like very, the first table read, you realize very quickly, oh, this director has no idea what they're doing. And this is going to be a terrible show. And I'm trapped yeah. in a terrible show mm-hmm. that I'm going to do for free for the next two months. Right. And that's, and, and this is like on top, you got to have a day job. I was like, I was bartending oh, yeah. at this point. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, this is like, you and throw in rehearsals. Now you're doing 12 hour days every day and you're yeah. still dirt poor and the show's going to suck. And like, yeah. I, just could not be, I just did not want to be a part of something that sucked. That's and I had that thing of like, I think I can do this better than that person can. And so I just started, I just started doing it and I would do it, you know, getting theater director work is not easy. And I would yeah. take, I would do anything. I would do stuff at coffee shops. I would do, I mean, anything, if I wasn't working, I would be finding a way to be working. Like I yeah. just knew the only way to get better at this is to do it nonstop. Sure. And, and I, the more I did it, like I was kind of good at it. You know, I think a lot of those like army leadership classes and I oh, would yeah. lead, lead squat. Like I was, I wasn't, wasn't intimidating to me to get in front of a bunch of people and talk to sure. them or give them notes or critiques or whatever. Yeah. Like it was very, I was very comfortable doing that. Yeah. Um, and then when it, and this, you know, then it starts to work and you see the things getting better. You see that it gets kind of addictive at that point. You know, oh, like, yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, this is, this yeah. is cool. I'm doing this. So. And I guess you have more control too. As, as opposed to being an actor where you kind of have to like the director or the writer is going to make their own decisions and you're kind of at the mercy of that, at that person that's at the helm. Right. So it must be kind yeah. of uh, like, it must be, so you feel like you were using your military experience throughout this whole process, right? Yeah. I think, least, uh, yeah. I, I think I found, yeah, I, I um, found, uh, I have a bunch of VHS tapes from stuff I did back in the day. And I found, I, I choreographed this big fight, it was a production of Richard the third and there's a big battle scene in it. And I mm. choreographed 12 there's, I think there's 12 sword fighters on wow. stage doing a 12 person sword fight. Uh, and then it culminates with Richard the third getting captured and the whole horse of horse, my kingdom for a horse. Oh, yeah. um, and I think I was like 21 or something when I did that. And I, I have it, I videotaped one of the rehearsals and I recently digitized all my VHS tapes Wow. So I haven't seen myself, I haven't seen myself in 20 years doing that kind of stuff. And you can tell even back then, like, cause that's, you got 12 actors with swords. Yeah. Now you have to, you have to control that room. Like that, that mm-hmm. cannot be an uncontrolled environment. Right. Uh, and, and I, you know, I'm just watching myself do it on this old grainy video. And I was like, wow, I, I knew what I was doing back then. Like I could, I did own the room. I could make sure everyone's focused. I could make sure that thing of people wanting to do something they didn't know they wanted to do. I kept people motivated. I was like, oh, like I got a few skills here. I kind of know, kind of know yeah. how to do this. So you felt like you were kind of developing your footing at that point. I mean, what was your next? So you did the Magic Theater and SF, and then what was your? And then New York. So then, what was your kind of next move after that? 
again, it was like, I, I didn't know, like, there's not really a path that you go on. It's like, yeah. you just sort of, people journey, like, how do you get an agent? I'm like, you don't do it. It just happens. You know, yeah. it's like, how do you get a career? You don't do it. It just kind of happens. You, you just keep doing stuff. And one day somebody's like, here's a career. Yeah. Um, so when I was there, uh, it was a lot of like scraping by bar. I had a lot of years in bars there. Oh, yeah. Um, doing uh there, there's a theater an off-broadway theater called playwrights horizons mm-hmm. which I, th- I think is one of the better off-broadway theaters them in second stage and maybe signature but like there's some they do some really cool stuff and they're real high-end like real professional high-end theater and they have a directing uh what's it called directing residency i think they call mm-hmm. it okay so they let in two people a year to this yeah. program wow and i got into it so i did that for a season and that for that you're an assistant director, which means something to, that means something different in the film world. Right. Uh, in the film world, you're sort of the manager of the set. In the Second theater world, stuff, you're, yeah. You in the theater world, you're actually working. You you are the assistant to the director. Like you're just standing by them all the time, taking notes and doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got to work with some really talented directors and watch them work. And we had uh, very talented casts. You know. Um, it's funny, like half the people in Succession now are people I used to do um, oh, really? off-Broadway theater with. But yeah, wow. it's like so cool because uh, a couple of them in particular were like, man, I just got to get in. Like I'm not yeah. getting the good work. The good work. And now to see them on Succession 20 years later, it's pretty cool. Um, but that was cool. You know, you're just sitting with the director. You get to be in their head. You, you When you go to previews, you have to sit there with them. Um, in theater, you do previews. So you have to sit right. there as the director. You sit there in the audience with mm-hmm. the audience and you watch it with them, which yeah. is an incredibly valuable experience that you don't kind of get in film. Yeah. Um, cause you, until because during previews, you can make adjustments. Once you hit opening night, the, everything's locked. Cause that's right. the, that's the show that's been reviewed. That's the show that people are going to see now, but it, you can make changes until then. So you're looking for those quiet, you're looking for the moments where the audience bored, you're looking for that. Kind oh of stuff. yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, and so I would, uh, you and the director would sit next to me and he'd whisper notes like, okay, they do this better. But I also had the freedom to write my own notes. Mm. And then at the end, when it's over, the two of us sit down and we go over the notes and then he would decide what he's going to tell the cast and how, how they're going to disseminate this information. But it really gave me a lot of access into that. Uh, and it gave me a little bit of a voice in that. Uh, so that was a, that was a very formative experience also. That was a, that was a very, and, and it's the kind of, it's a very well-run place. I mean, not a lot of theaters are. So to be somewhere that is really doing it was very exciting. Uh, and then I, after that, I tried to branch out and, and just get whatever, whatever work I could get. Yeah. So I directed stuff. Uh, I directed stuff in California. I directed a big show in Oklahoma. I directed uh, in New York. Like it just kind of wherever I could find work or create work myself. That's what I did. Um, when did you come to Columbia? Came to Columbia. So I, I did the theater stuff in New York for th- four years, maybe. And I, there was a point where I was like, this is not, I, I can't do this. Like, this is, mm. uh, like when I was working at uh, Playwrights Horizons, I yeah. believe that that directing residency didn't pay. Mm-hmm. So you're eight hours a day for free, five right. days a week. And when you go into shows, six days a week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, but I still need a job. I'm still supporting myself. So yeah. I was working as a bouncer, oh, wow. um, which I don't know if you've been to New York and seen the bouncers, but most of them don't look like me. I'm about six inches too Pretty small. Rough. I'm about a hundred pounds yeah. too little. Um, 
but uh, I, the owner would tell people I was like a Navy SEAL or something, so nobody gave me any trouble. <laughs> and so, I, but I would do that. Uh, I think my shift there started. I'm trying to remember, like four o'clock, uh, and I would work till four a.m. Mm-hmm. And then wow. I would get up. I'd have to be in Midtown. I think rehearsal started at nine. Yeah. So, and then we would go till four, or whatever, and then I would go straight from rehearsal to the bar. Right. And it's it's funny because like the people in the bar because I yeah I was a bouncer I had to I had to play a little bit of a tough guy role yeah the people in the bar didn't know I what I was doing theater and the people in the theater yeah. didn't know I was in a bar and at yeah. at one point we were working on um it, there's a documentary called Grey Gardens about the oh, Bouviers yeah. yeah. but there's a musical of it so that musical started at uh, playwrights while I was there so I worked on oh, it. oh wow so I'm like working on this musical during the day and then oh, I gotta like go. Yeah, I got to work at a bar where the dress code is all black in case you get blood on you. You know, like oh, that's man. the that's the two worlds. And I was just like, this is crazy, man. I, yeah. I I'm exhausted. I'm I'm just getting more and more broke doing this. Yeah. Um. So that's I walked away at that point. And and it's that kind of thing too. Of like, the rehearsal rooms are all in the garment district and the on mm-hmm. the west side in the 30s. And there's these like dingy, tiny little rooms, and oh, yeah. they're loud. And I was like, I, this there's got to be more to it than this. Yeah. Um. And so I, I, let, I made, the, it was kind of a hard decision, but I was like, I think I'm done. I don't, I think I'm done with theater. I don't think this is what I'm going to do. And it's the same thing. I needed a job. I looked on, I think Craigslist and there was a film production hiring scenic carpenters <laughs> for a lot more money than I ever made in theater. Wow. And so I took the job. Um, I, and that was my first time being on a set. You know, I, it, it was a bigger, like a $15 million movie. So it was a pretty big set. Yeah. We'd rented out a giant, it was filmed in a giant warehouse in Red Hook. Uh, and they built a we. I was one of the ones that built it, this massive yeah. science fiction, you know, huge, cool looking thing. Uh, and that's why I got to watch directors work up close. And I, everyone on set thinks they can direct a movie better than director. That's just, mm. that's how it, yeah. uh, everyone does. Yeah. And I was no exception to that. I was sitting there watching them work. And, and it was that thing of like, most film directors don't have that kind of on the ground experience you get doing theater or, you know, Being in the military, they don't have yeah. the leadership training you get in the military. Right. They don't have that stuff. And so you could kind of, there's a reason a lot of movies aren't good, you know, like there, there's a reason there's a million things when you open your Netflix app and you don't want to watch any of them. Yeah. Um, and so I'd watch these people and say, man, I think I could do this better. But again, I, I didn't know how it seemed right. accessible. Uh, and then the 2008 strike happened. I did that oh, for like yeah. two, two, three years. Uh, and I reached a point where I was getting good enough that people, it would, people were like, you need to join the union. You need to, da, da, da. And I, so I walked yeah. away from it. I said, I'm not, I'm not joining. Cause again, people see you with a hammer. Right. That's all you'll ever be to them. Yeah. Um, so I, I luck, I didn't know what to do. Luckily I had a friend who was an actor who was temping at a large advertising agency in HR. Mm. And he said, there's an opening for a producer and I, I can just move your paperwork in. And so he literally, we just wow. cheated our way into that job. And I got a job as a producer at an ad agency, which I, I wanted because I wanted to learn uh, more of the above the line stuff. Like let's get into how budgets and uh, schedules and things like that yeah. work. And let's, let's be on like the above the tier line of like making of uh, these were commercials we were making, but like, let's get that experience. And that was super valuable. Um, but again, I was back in advertising, which yeah. 
And to make it worse, it, the, so the 2008 crash happened and everyone stopped spending money on advertising mm. except the pharmaceutical industry. Oh, yeah. So now I'm making so. pharmaceutical ads, which is like, I mean, they're selling out and then there's making pharmaceutical ads. Like, yeah, yeah. that's like, mm-hmm. that that was brutal. Uh, yeah. And advertising is just not for me. The the life is not for me. The, the I, I don't care about the work. People yeah. are passionate about making sure a Chantix pop-up ad comes out on time. And I'm like, I don't care. I, yeah. I don't care about any of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I kind of reached a point where I was like, I, 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 part of what kept me from going to film school was the debt. Uh, yeah. The debt was real. I had a friend who went to uh, grad school before he went to Columbia before uh, the uh, Obama 10% repayment stuff. Oh, and okay. his, his student loan bill every month was $3,500 a month. Man. And he's trying to be an actor in New York. So yeah. that's like without paying for housing. And and this guy, I don't think any of us understood student loans until you graduate. And you're like, oh, wait, what? Yeah. I have to do this? Yeah. Uh, it, it, I watched him. He he got very depressed. I mean, he was like suicidal. Like this was a oh, wow. crushing thing that, that he went through. Uh, and so that kind of kept me away from grad school. And then when they did the 10% repayment thing, I was like, yeah. okay, maybe – Maybe now I'll give this a shot. Uh, and yeah, so I, I only applied to Columbia. They, yeah. I, you know, I looked at the, I didn't understand that there's New York schools and LA schools and mm-hmm. there's pros and cons. I didn't, I didn't understand the nuances of that yet. So it was really just NYU or Columbia. The, if you're in New York, those are yeah. really the only two. I'm, yeah. There's, there, there's ways to do it. Uh, and I think sure. maybe Brooklyn college now has a pretty good film school, but back then mm-hmm. they didn't. Yeah. Um, and Columbia had the harder application. So that's what I went with. So you liked it? Good experience. I mean, you made films. You were, uh, did you have your like mind blown by faculty and like other students? Like, did you feel like you had a yeah. sense of community going on over there? Um, I, I definitely had my mind blown. I had never, yeah. I mean, at this point, I'd already been to two state schools. I'd been around colleges. I'd been, right. I had five years of college at this point. I had yeah. never seen anything like what they had at Columbia. That mm-hmm. was next level. There's people there that are, I didn't know, I never met people that thought like that or yeah. could think that deeply or were such experts on something or could, you know, one of the things they're very good at is teaching you how to think. They don't just mm-hmm. teach you rules. They teach you how to discover things on your own. And yeah. I've never been taught like that. It was, I probably grew more in five years there than I did at any other wow. point. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's tricky. There's a lot of politics that goes into it. Oh, There's yeah. a, it's a, it's a grad school. I mean, I'm, I think you're in school now, right? So you, you yeah. probably know. At Columbia, I know, man. Yeah. The politics and all that stuff. And some of the, you know, there's, there's games that get played with it. it, it like you oh, get to yeah. Columbia and you are classmates with the son of a billionaire. Mm. That's a different <laughs> universe than what I'm from. You know, like, yeah. I think there was two billionaires in my class. Uh, oh, nice. it, so it's like, it, this is a very different one. There's some culture shock. I struggle. This is part, I, uh, went back into therapy while I was at Columbia to oh, really? deal with some of this stuff. So, yeah. uh, yeah, it was, uh, I met some of my best friends there. I mean, I'm still friends with some of the people I met there to this day. Uh, I mean, some brilliant people there. It, it is a very, very impressive place. Yeah. Are you still, do you still keep in touch with, uh, your military, uh, people like your friends from that or no? No. Uh-huh. Um, I had my, my battle buddy, um, mm-hmm. I thought he and I would stay in touch for a long time, but he, 
he's a pretty wild guy. I mean, mm-hmm. he was yeah. um, a pretty crazy guy, I'll, I'll say. Yeah. And when we got out around the same time, and he, even before he joined the military, he was getting into some some trouble that was like beyond trouble that I even got into. Yeah. Uh, and I think when he got out, he went back into that and maybe started getting into drugs and stuff. And yeah. so we, he, he, we had a falling out. Uh, okay. And I, I never, sp- I've looked him up on the internet and tried to find him. He's a kind of unique name. I haven't been able to find him on the internet. So I, he might not uh-huh. even be alive. I mean, he was a pretty wild guy. Man. Uh, uh, so no, I, I, I didn't there and there was a thing too of like that crowd and and my sort of old world yeah. I, I talk about it like old world and new world a lot of the old world people were not I came back once to visit people and they they I told them I was doing theater and uh I, it, that did not get a welcoming reception yeah. so I I sort of was like I, I'm leaving all this behind I'm, right. I'm just I'm, I'm putting all this over here and I'm charting a new new course on my own so then Columbia, I mean, you're in this new world, billionaires involvement, right? And then there's also the faculty, you're getting your mind blown, you're in a new place. So then when does, uh, day 39, I mean, that was at Columbia, right? Or was that right afterwards? Yeah, no, that's my thesis film. So you, yeah. um, you have to do, I guess you don't have to, sort of, yeah. everyone does, you make yeah. a thesis film. Uh, so that was my thesis film. I did that my last year, uh, the film program lasts anywhere from three to five years. Yeah. Um, I did all five. And so that was my last, the last thing I did was that film. Wow. And then where, where did you shoot that? So we shot the interiors, uh, at a Columbia building on 125th. Oh, I, wow. I actually built that, that hut that they're in. I actually built yeah. that myself. Oh, man. Uh, they, uh, we had a scenic designer who came in and made it look like mud and everything, but the actual yeah. wooden walls, I put those up. Wow. Uh, and it's, uh, I think there's a new campus up there on 125th. That's right. They, they were constructing it at the time. I wasn't finished. So it's like across the street from there. Yep. Uh, and then the exteriors we shot on a native American reservation in wow. New Mexico. Oh man. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it definitely looks like, I mean, the, the type of, uh, context and the climate that you're trying to paint, uh, it's wild. How did you, uh, was that kind of like your experience, like at the beginning when you're kind of, you know, you're, it's almost that like kumbaya moment where you're kind of bonding. Like, did you have a lot of those moments um, when you were serving or did you, did you feel like um, as you did more and more, like that just became less of a priority or less of a focus? Cause you're kind of in the weeds at that point, right? There's, there's definitely some kumbaya stuff yeah. for sure. I mean, at a certain point it just becomes a job. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, all right, we got to get up at six in the morning. We got to go do formation. We got to get the trucks right. ready. We got to get the guns up. We got to roll out the gate. You know, it's, it becomes routine very quickly. Yeah. Um, and then, and then at a certain point, people are just counting the days till you go home. Like they, everyone, you can ask anyone on deployment, how many days they have left and they'll know the answer. Like yeah. that's counting down the days becomes a big part of it. Yeah. So that's day 39. So then how did you, uh, how was that experience? I mean, that actor, like you mentioned, I mean, he, you worked with him again. Did you all, the doc, that guy, did he show up in that uh, black site Delta? He's the or? Navy SEAL who gets shot right, yeah, and, like, yeah. and like never dies till the very end. He's, yeah, yeah. he's the indestructible Navy SEAL. Yeah. Yeah. So then how was that? And, uh, and actually the, the main bad, the bad guy is the yeah. father who's dying. Oh yeah. Wow, man. Yeah. That was wild. I try to, uh, I try to help. Like I try to 
because those they didn't get paid. I mean, this is like you're doing student films. Like that's a big commitment for an yeah. actor because you're being very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Don't know what this is going to be. Don't know if these directors know what they're doing. Right. Um, so I try to like take care of people that took care of me. You know. Uh, plus, I, I I like them. I love these are great actors. I mean, I I I love them as people. I love what they can do. They're professional. They come to work. They give. They they bring it. Um, who doesn't want to be around that? Well, even in uh, like Riches and Starlight, I mean, you're using the similar actors in that too uh, in certain roles. So then, how, what? But day thirty nine. So how was uh, how was that? I mean, that story is pretty wild. Like this guy that, like speaking of trial by fire, I mean that is trial by fire. <laughs> like when you're asked to do this thing that you never thought you would with a doctor. I mean, how did you come up with that with that story? Well, so when I was at Columbia, they had just started the uh navy i think it's navy rotc was like start they because they had it and then they got rid of it they brought it back yeah around the time i was there and uh columbia also made a big effort to do veteran recruitment Mm -hmm. none of the other ivy league schools do they're they're one of the only schools that do it yeah and so there's a lot of veterans on campus and i remember i went from bosnia to college and that wow. transition yeah. was difficult. Like it, mm-hmm. it, I didn't have, you know, I didn't have, it wasn't a combat tour. So I didn't have a lot of the stuff that yeah. people have now, but it's, it's different. Like it's, it's, it's an adjustment for sure. And oh, I yeah. struggled with that for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I would see these veterans around campus and I could see that some of them were struggling. I mean, you could tell that they were yeah. struggling with it. And I would have people that found out I was in the army come up to me and be like, did you kill somebody? Mm-hmm. Which is not the that's not how you start a conversation with a veteran but no people do and what i realized is like no one here has any idea what this deployment is actually like i mean we hear about the bang bang shoot 'em up stuff and i so i didn't want to do that like i knew that's been covered that's they've done that in movies and what really struck me about my deployment was the humanity of it oh and and like coming having like this just very close perspective to raw humanity i mean raw people and that that's the that was really the thing that stuck with me. And so I wanted to I did it for two things. I did it to show for so that veterans felt like some of their experience was shown, that, that somebody understood and was telling their thing. But also I wanted general audiences to know like this is kind of some of the stuff you deal with. It's not there's the shoot 'em up stuff, but it, it, your life can change on a dime. Like yeah. you don't know when it's coming. And that's why it's called day 39, because it's random. Like yeah. you don't know it's it's not, it's not going to happen on the first day. It's coming somewhere out there is this experience that's going to turn you on a dime and you don't know when it's coming and you don't know what it is. Yeah. And that's why, I mean, he starts saying, I want to be a killer. And by the end, he's, he's like delivering seen a bit, the yeah. other side of it and <laughs> yeah. not so sure, you know? Yeah. Um, but, and also that thing of like, even though you just felt that the mission continues, like you oh, might, yeah. you might you want to stop and talk about it, but like, patrols moving on and that's the kind of stuff that like everyone carries in them and it's not just did you kill somebody it's like do, do you, that that raw humanity you're up against can you ever not think about it like do you still think about it do you still carry that with you because it changes who you are i mean it, cha- it you know it goes yeah, yeah. and it, it you and there's no once you know that truth about life there's no going back you, you carry yeah. that with you forever now you're 21 and you know something that none of the other 21 year olds around you know and it's a right. truth about the world. Like it's not debatable. This is the true thing of being a human being. And that's what when you see these people, when you see a veteran, like that's the stuff they're carrying around. It's not just yeah. the bang bang shooter. I mean, that's 
also important. That's its own thing. But since we didn't have the budget to do that kind of stuff, and I don't have, um, I don't know. I just didn't feel comfortable. There was enough people yeah. doing that conversation that I felt like I didn't have to do it. Uh, so I, th- really, I just wanted to show like, this is, these are extreme experiences that somebody has to do like, like them or not agree with the, agree with why they're there. All that. I, it's nothing to do with that. Uh, these people signed up because their life was terrible and they needed to escape something. And now they have to do this thing. It's going to change yeah. what they are. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like no one had ever talked about that and no one had ever explored that and to me that was more my experience than the bang bang shoot 'em up stuff and i wanted to put that out there well i mean and you collaborate with that uh that guy lawrence vanicelli a lot yeah. right like i think he was the dp on that right so then mm-hmm. how do you how did you guys meet was that a columbia thing or somewhere else that was that was a columbia thing he was uh in my year at columbia um and i remember so they you know when you get to columbia they say uh, don't be afraid to fail Mm. I guess the thing that they're going for, this is something I saw in theater. This is something I've seen a lot. Yeah. When I, when I was in basic training, right. I had never shot a gun before, but you have mm-hmm. all these people that grow up. There's a lot of people in the South in the army right? and a lot of them grow up hunting and they do outdoor sports. And so they're mm-hmm. used to shooting and someone taught them how to shoot. Yeah. And then you get to the range and these drill sergeants are explaining it to you, how they want you to do it. And you have combined 200 years of shooting experience in front of you telling you how it goes. So yeah. I didn't know what to do. So I just listened to them. Whereas everyone else or the other people who had experienced shooting said, right. I don't need to listen. I know what they're doing. Well, when we got on the range, those people didn't shoot as well. Yeah. When I got to the acting conservatory, most, almost everyone was coming from high school theater and they got a certain amount of adulation and they got a certain <laughs> amount of attention for that. Yeah. So what ends up happening is every time they're going on stage, they're going on stage to get that adulation, to get that right. attention. They're not going on stage to try to move the audience. Mm. Uh, and so all I did was, and since, I mean, I never had, I didn't do high school theater. I didn't know about that stuff. I was about the craft and the work. And I think some of that comes from maybe coming from a blue collar background, Mm -hmm. like on a construction site, you're not special. Nobody cares. Did you build (laughs) that wall correctly? Is it level? That's what we care about. It's like, did you do the work? Yeah. You're judged by your work. So my focus was always the work. And I ended up you know, my first year there, I'm the guy in the background with a spear and my last, third year there, I'm the lead in everything. Yeah. Um, when I got to Columbia, some people had already been in some film festivals. Some people mm. had been in Sunday, like some good ones, some oh, wow. real, like some heavy duty film festivals. Yeah. And so when it came time to do work, they're not trying to grow. They're trying to repeat the agile. They're trying to repeat the thing that got them adulation. And so they're not, that, I think that's why I say, don't be afraid to fail. Like go outside your comfort zone, try something new, try to like push your boundaries with this medium. And I was, I was very into that. So a lot of my early stuff is terrible. Um, like the first film I ever did, I did a lock off camera. I had no camera movement and no dialogue. Mm-hmm. I just want to see, can I tell a story wow. using basic imagery? Yeah. You know, that's what I'm trying to do. Whereas like other, some of the other people were like, I'm going to spend $20,000 and, hire 10 100 extras and do a stay and it's like great you did you did a big fancy thing that's the exact same as what you did two films ago you're not growing uh and we had a a directing class i think it was directing two uh and lawrence brought in something that was terrible (laughs) and it was terrible because he was trying something different He was trying a new lens or trying something i can i can sort of still remember the thing and that clicked for me and i went this guy's he's thinking he's alive he's doing it so we 
we just started working together after that. And he has shot. He's a director, but he, yeah. he he's a director, but he comes from a visual background. So he, uh, and it's, a, I mean, having a, a director as a DP is the best experience because you, hmm. if you're messing up, like they usually know what to do so they can save your bacon a lot. Oh, yeah. uh, and then we would work together. He would shoot all my stuff. And then I, because I have this, when you start out as a theater director, no one, you're producing your own work. No one is producing mm-hmm. anything for you. So yeah. I have, I've done a, a lot of producing. So I've produced all of his movies. Uh, until recently, his last film, uh, I was unable to, I have kids, so I was unable to, oh, yeah. they shot, they shot in New York and I, I couldn't go out. Yeah. Um, uh, so up, but up until then he shot everything I've done and I've produced everything he's done. Is it kind of like speaking of going outside your comfort zone? I mean, is it, uh, did you feel that like on, on something like riches or double header? I mean, both of those, which I've seen, cause I mean that in terms of that, em- like that empathy element that you talked about and. You know, I guess with Day 39 and Humanity, I mean, that is like very subtle. But then when you go to something like Doubleheader, I mean, that, there's a lot of empathy there, especially when you talk about death and this relationship between father and son. So is that, do you feel like stuff like that, that's very um, dialogue centered and about familial rela- relationships? I mean, is that outside your comfort zone Is that, or does that feel kind of close to home still? Um, it's interesting. So like, Double header yes. was someone else's thesis film. Mm. So I didn't write it. Okay. It was the producer named Nicole uh, Haydu, or she's gotten married. Her name's Haydu now. It's Demasi. Yeah. And she's a writer out here. She's a working writer out here. Um, she's still another Columbia friend who's a good friend. Um, so that was her thesis film. So the idea there is I'm not, I'm, I wasn't hired, but like hired in air quotes. Yeah to tell her story, to tell her thesis film. I'm not there to tell my version of it. She's paying for it. Like that's the other thing at Columbia. You have to pay for your own films. Um, So you you also get to learn about fundraising. Some of the other schools don't do that. They give you money, but Columbia doesn't. Um, So it was her money. It was her thesis film. So I was trying to execute her vision. I was not trying to make it mine. Whereas Riches, I wrote, well, it's based on a play, but I did the rewrite of it and I shot that myself. So that's a little more, in my wheelhouse. Um, but I think, you know, it, one of the things, especially out here in Hollywood, they, they really want to pigeonhole you real quick. Like, Oh, oh yeah. you made a war movie. So you can only make war movies. Right. Uh, in the theater world, it doesn't work like that. You're sort of expected to be able to do anything. Dramas, comedies, classics, contemporary, like you, mm. sh- you could be doing Shakespeare one month, the next month you're doing a world premiere avant-garde thing like yeah. you, there's an expectation that you have this knowledge base you're able to yeah. do it all mm-hmm. yeah it, it doesn't work like that in film generally i mean i'm i'm working on it but uh so something like something like double header i'm working more with the writer to try to be like what what are you tr- let's pull out what you're trying to say yeah. and let me execute at that point i'm just the storyteller mm-hmm. i'm not the uh and I gave her because it was her film and she was paying for it. I gave her way more leeway than I would if if it was if I was a hired director working on something. If, and that if you're getting paid and it's a thing like you you have a lot more control. But because she was a good friend and it was her project, I wanted it to be her voice. Uh, I, I I didn't push for rewrites. I didn't push for anything like that. So I, I was more trying to with that one figure out what she and she's a very family oriented person. What are you trying to say? What are you trying to do? Let's execute that and make sure the audience feels it. That's my that's my role on that production. Does Columbia like prepare you one way or the other, like in terms of being 
a hired gun that can go on any any set with any production and kind of like execute their like someone else's vision even if it's not your own or, or is it more like does it try to breed like paul thomas anderson's like writer directors that have their own vision and execute that both yeah uh i mean so columbia is very much an art school it's not an industry mm-hmm. school like if yeah. you want to go work in hollywood columbia is probably not the best place like you should probably go to usc mm. here like there are programs out here that were designed with the studios to be a sort of studio factory oh and yeah the, the definition of studio is changing very rapidly at the moment oh, yeah. so <laughs> no one knows what any of it's going to mean but yeah um whereas columbia is like because the usc will teach you how to navigate the industry navigate the hollywood stuff. Yeah. columbia doesn't do that but columbia mm. teaches you the art of filmmaking and so uh, it's interesting working with people who went to these other schools out here. They know how to maneuver the town. They know how to do the business. And they know, Network, okay, yeah. how to write to genre, how to write mm-hmm. to what's selling, how to do that. They, there is an artistry to this stuff that, yeah. that they don't have the exposure to. So it's, it's really like, where do, how do you want to do this? Like, do you want to? Cause you're going to have to make it up. You're going to have to, if you're going to do the artsy stuff, you're going to have to spend a couple of years figuring the business out. Oh, if you're going to do the business side. You're going to have to spend a couple of years figuring out the artsy stuff when you get out. So it, it, it's, I don't know if there's a right answer there. It's kind of however you want to play it. So what, but what Columbia does well is make you like your first year, your first big project It's called the eight to 12. Mm-hmm. And you have to, you write a short script, eight to 12 pages and you have to then, Someone you someone else has to direct it. You're not allowed to direct it, but you have to produce it. Yeah. So someone else is directing your work and you're producing. And what's great about that? But I think it's a, I think that's an invaluable exercise because it makes you be in other people's shoes, and it makes you understand like this is what they need to make this thing work. Like I I went out of my way. Well, you're at Columbia. You can work on as many people's films as you want. Like, mm-hmm. I think they encourage you to do three or four. I think I did 20. I mean, I oh, did wow. everything. Yeah. But I wanted to make sure I knew I've done every job on set five times. I've done yep. every job. I know what they are. So if I'm on set and the camera department is taking forever, I, I can walk over there and be like, what's right. going on? Mm-hmm. And oh, we're fiddling with this kicker light. Well, I don't care about the kicker lights. So we're moving on. If you don't know that and the camera department is this foreign entity with this crazy expensive camera with all this stuff on it and you're intimidated yeah. by it and they go we need 10 more minutes well now they're in control of your movie yeah, they're controlling your schedule yeah. now like mm-hmm. you're not you're not in the mix so right. i really went out of my way to do that and i don't think the schools out here do that as much and so there's a lot of like i think it's really critical to have all that experience that's one of the things the army teaches you that's an army leadership thing know everyone's job better than they do it better than they know it um so you don't get that out here or with the LA schools. I don't think, yeah. I mean, I, this is based on conversations about, I don't know what the actual curriculum is. Yeah. So they're, they're very good about that. And it's an incredible opportunity. If you take advantage of it, if you take advantage of like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to try My job is to make this person's words work. Um, then you, you can learn quite a bit from that. Not, not everyone takes that opportunity. I mean, some people, some people just take the script and rewrite it themselves and, oh, they, yeah. and they and they totally ignore the other person. Yeah. You can do that, you know, but like, you're not going to learn as much from it. Right. Uh, but the, so that's the way the curriculum is set up, but the way they teach and the way the teachers talk and the, you know, the, the sort of things they preach are the more the PT Anderson 
auteur oh, yeah. version of it, which yeah. is is just getting nowadays harder and harder and harder to do. I mean, it's that's a very yeah. hard way to to do things, especially the industry is changing so fast now. Uh, I guess with television though, with streaming, it seems like there's more like a premium put on creative. I don't know if creative control is the right phrase, but at least like original voices and content and stories that kind of channel diversity and all these themes that we kind of grew up with that we don't necessarily see on the studio level, you know, on the screen, right? No, I mean, there's a huge revolution going on right now. But that, again, that's coming from like, that's not the director. That's coming from the showrunner, the show So I think in television, the writers have a lot more power than they do in film. The director is, I mean, you know, film's a director's medium. Um, as a director, you can take the script and do whatever you want to it. In television, they hand you a script and those are the words. I mean, almost like legally the actors have to say those words. It's not legal, but you know, yeah. like that, like if, if, if the footage comes back and they've said something different than what's on those pages, you're, you're going to get a talking to, and you might not be working tomorrow. Like it's yeah. a, it's a very big deal if you do that. So then, uh, like, as we like wrap up, I mean, is there, uh, like, what do you want to do? next like i just think about um i think about like catherine bigel as someone like that who's a columbia alum or um mm-hmm. oliver stone and all james those, mangold like, yeah but then all those like but with with stone but he wasn't a columbia alum i think he went to yale but uh with bigelow like i know she she's into i like her war movies like her locker mm-hmm. and zero dark they're incredible yeah is that something that you want to kind of keep doing like stay in that genre or do you want to kind of shift go through something else like make different types of features work in different mediums like what do you want to do or what's one thing? Uh, I think right now I'm I'm focused on the feature game. Yeah. Television is like its own animal. It's, it's oh yeah. It's its own industry. Like you, the amount of time and effort it takes to break into film, you have to do that much time and effort to break into television. Right. And they're two separate industries. Like they don't talk. Uh, so so you're you're you might have clout over here. It means nothing over here. Yeah. Um, so feature films is where I'm at now, and it seems like the way television is really contracting right now. Like there, there's a lot of layoffs that I think the streaming war is over. And I think maybe Netflix won and everyone else lost. Like, I Hmm. think you're going to see, you know how there's like 20 different apps now you can watch stuff. I think you're going to see that start to shrink. Um, it, it seems like the big streaming experiment is over and, and it's the dust is settling and we're going to see what happens. Like I, we're at an incredible uh, moment and in change right now in the industry and yeah. nobody knows how it's going to play out but features still like that that one voice feature thing seems like it still has a place luckily um and you know the stuff that i'm working on now uh i i try to get out of the war stuff i get kind of pigeonholed in that a lot um mm. it's that thing and once you've done one people assume that's what you do you know uh, <laughs> but i I, I, I want to have the type of career that like a, you know, Bigelow or Mangled where you can do other, you, you're not pigeonholed. Yeah. Right. Uh, I mean, I probably will never do comedy. Like I'll stick within the dramatic yeah. sort of gritty. That seems to be the space I work in. And, and I like it. It's fun. Um, I will say I, Black Sight Delta, whatever it is, I'm not claiming it's a great movie or anything, but uh, it, it's fun shooting action. Like yeah. that's action movies are fun to make. Like they're, Cause it's really just, you're not worried about the character's depth or this emotional thing. Choreography and yeah. Yeah. It's more of a like moving pieces and an energy. Like, can we keep this? It's like a ride almost. Mm -hmm. And that's, there's kind of less pressure in that in a way. It's kind of fun. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, I'm, I have a film that we're trying to get made this year. I mean, this writer's strike is not helping. Um, 
I think I think the actors are going to go on strike next, so that's going to oh, be Oof. that's going to be a drag. Uh, yeah. But we're we're close. Uh, we're about half financed and we're half cast on this feature, mm-hmm. um, and that's actually uh, it's based on a book that I guess people would, the protagonist is 18. So it immediately becomes yeah. YA, even though I'm not, yeah. uh, that's not what yeah. I would call it. Yeah. Uh, but just, you have an 18 year old, they make it YA. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's a sort of a popular genre right now. So um, they'll give us money and call it whatever you want. <laughs> um, so we're doing that. And that's kind of an end of the world, uh, grappling Oof. with the end of the world sort of growing up. It, it's, it, it is an end of the world scenario, but what it's really about is growing up in a world that is, coming of age in a world that is changing and falling apart okay. all the time. Yeah. Um, we can relate to that. Right. That's yeah. And it's, and it's a hopeful thing. It's like it, the idea is that these kids are up for it. These <laughs> kids, I, I personally don't think that the 65 year olds have the answer to how we modernize America. You know, like, I don't think, I don't think the people are going to save us are, are the 70 year olds right now. It's probably mm. the 18 year olds. Yeah. Um, and I'm not a fan, you know, everyone bitches about millennials and Gen <laughs> Z. And I, I think it's just, people have been bitching about the other generation my entire life. And I just, I wanted to make something for them to be like, Hey, I get you, man. Like you're going to be okay. Like keep trying. It might be uncomfortable. You might have to push yourself. You might have to grow in ways you didn't know you could, but you can, you can do it and you can make the world a better place. It's possible. It's doable. Yeah. Um, so that, that's what that one's about. Um, I do have a war movie, uh, takes place in Ukraine that, Mm. Uh, or trying it that's in a uh, much earlier stage that that's for someone at my at this point in my career that's hard to pull off because uh you get into bigger budgets and you, you kind of have to work your way up the budget tier you know you make yeah. a five million one if that hits they'll let you do an eight million if that hits they'll let you do a 12 if that hits you can do a 20 you know you, you can't just jump to 20 um have you seen uh, have you seen cyborgs the the like 80s Jean-Claude Van Damme. No, it's uh I think oh. it's uh based on like the 2014 um Ukraine it's based on Ukraine. And um Is it an American like movie or Ukrainian? No, it's a Ukrainian movie. Uh but oh, it's no. I I saw it. We actually yeah, I saw it at Columbia. Oh, you should see it, man. It's good. But yeah. Yeah, so I'll you, check it out. The budgeteer is going up five to eight. And then I so the, so like out here, there's two ways you can do it. You can um because like technically I'm a writer and director, right? So yeah. I can write stuff to try to sell it, right? But that my directing career will go nowhere. Mm. Um, what's hard about starting a directing career is no one lets you have a directing career until you've already proved you can direct. Oh, like no yeah. one will get, no one will let you make a feature until you've already made a feature. So it's like, how do you? It's like a chicken before the egg thing, um, and that's kind of that's like the world I'm caught up in now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're. It takes a long time to break through that. We're about to, I think with this next one, we'll break through that. Okay. And it kind of depends how that movie does, honestly. Like if the movie makes a billion dollars, I can do whatever I want. Uh, yeah. I probably won't. I'm not saying it. <laughs> if it makes, if we sell it for 10 million, I'll be very happy. Yeah. Um, but it, if the investors make a lot of money off of it, they'll happily give you more money next time. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's kind of the game. Um, and then I have another one. I'm trying to dip into the horror world. Okay. I have, uh, a character who's a psychiatrist, actually, okay. my main character in that one, mm-hmm. um, who works in a, a, in a, institu- a mental institution. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of a horror movie, which is a that's a stretch for me. I don't work in horror very often, so yeah. Uh, uh, but that's a very 
popular genre that you can always sell horror. They'll always make horror movies. Um, so it's an easy one. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I, I would like to have the freedom to sort of work on the dramatic side. I'll stay out of comedies, but I'd like, to, I'd like to have the career where you can have a free freedom to sort of take on, uh, you know, this project is an 18 year old female lead. This one's about the war in Ukraine. This one's got that. This one's got that. That's a very hard thing to pull off. Like they don't let people do that very often. So yeah. um, I've probably chosen the hardest path humanly possible. <laughs> no, it's good but, though. I mean, you in know, terms of like what you wanted to do, like going back to that, like you have to create a problem to solve it and then not liking that terminology, not liking that sensibility. I mean, it seems like you have found a way to do whatever, if it is the harder path it is, but it does help increase the level of exploration and characters and character development and allows the audience to be introspective about their own lives and about their own perils and their own struggles. So I think that's that's really valuable in itself, right? I mean, that is like, in terms of like creating service to film and cinema, I mean, that's what that is. That's that's what I'm after. I mean, I, yeah. I think that comes from the, I think that comes from the theater world, having to mm-hmm. sit there with the audience. Oh, and yeah. You can tell when they're bored. You can yeah. tell, you see the cell phone. I mean, nowadays you see the cell phone lights turn on. You hear the candy yeah rappers you hear the programs rustling and there's yeah. and you can also feel it when they are locked in yeah in the room we have 500 people and they're dead still and everyone's right. paying attention and everyone's locked in and then when it's over you go wait in the lobby and you hear them come out and you hear them talking about it You're, oh this thing what did that mean that's what i'm after that that's it's like that's the only thing that matters if you can do that you'll win the game yeah not hollywood doesn't work like that hollywood doesn't you know hollywood's about egos oh it's it's a crazy town it's a crazy industry but i think as long as you stay focused on that because the audience will determine who wins or loses this you know the tick that's the the thing you always got to remember is that's who you're doing it for and if you can give them something that if you can make them go you'll work you'll always have a career um so that's what i'm after i mean that's the that thing of that feeling of your world getting a little bigger that's exciting to me that feels I, I, it's that thing of like, I don't want to be in my deathbed and be like, oh shit, I missed the world. You know, I was only, I only lived half a life. Like that's not, that's not where I want to go. And the things that I'm putting out into the world, I want them to make people better. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a, but I want, I, you know, I want them to go like, that's the experience I want them to get. I think that's why I'm slightly frustrated with black side Delta because I don't think it does that. Um, yeah. But having done that film, I know now that that's important to me and that that will help uh, yeah. the choices I make in the future. The value of experience. Well, man, it was great talking to you. I love uh, love the films, love the projects, uh, like where your head's at and where you're, where, uh, where you're going. So, uh, yeah, really appreciate you. Uh, appreciate talking with you, man. And I'm glad that you did this. It was a lot of fun for me. And if you yeah, need anyone, if you need any, uh, any psychiatry input on that endeavor uh let me know and uh yeah i'll be uh i'll be an extra or whatever whatever you need <laughs> i'm there man right, you you said it once you say it <laughs> now you're now you're committed come on man come on man it's on, we've, this is being recorded now it's oh uh, yeah now it's official no i can cut stuff out it's all good uh all right man <laughs> great talking to you dude it was a lot of fun yeah thanks a lot thanks for reaching out i appreciate it